0: So chapter 15, Romans, I'm going to, I've been convicted because Zach's all good and reads the whole thing first and then prays and I'm like, just start, I just start yelling and stuff like that, so, but um, I'm going to read, we're going to do the first seven verses and then we'll pray and, dude, check this out, Zach, watch this, if everyone would stand for the reading of the word, I've never done that, that's crazy, right? And I grew up Lutheran, that's like Lutheran and I'm like the worst at it, so, So, first seven verses, then we'll pray. It says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ." Did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another, just as Christ also received us, and I love this part, to the glory of God. Let's pray. Jesus, just as tonight as we jump in, to these seven verses, um, which I think are just very clear. And, and I love some of the simplicity. We're begged other places in the Bible not to stray from the simplicity that is in you. And so I just pray that, that, that the clear message, the clear simplicity of tonight would be of profound impact in our lives. That we wouldn't always be looking for the big, massive, theological, doctrinal understandings but that we would actually grapple with the very real, very practical, very Monday morning application of the scripture. And so just as, as Paul wraps up this, these, these seven verses, as I'll be concluding tonight as well, um, but not to our own glory, that none of this would be about behavior modification, that this would be about spirit-driven sanctification, that we would not do things for the sake of ourselves or even for the sake of other people necessarily, but that ultimately primarily essentially we would be living a life worthy of reflecting you for your glory and so would you just set that calibration in our heart tonight um you love your people i ask that you would uh, enable me to teach enable all of us to learn as we hear from your word we thank you for this passage thank you for paul's diligence to write this letter amid turmoil and tribulation um as he loves on this church and so i just pray holy spirit that you would now love on your church not for our glory but for yours in jesus name Amen. amen have a seat Tonight might be short. We'll see. Short for me is like an hour, but we'll see. Okay, might be shorter. I might shock you and then force you to like hang out afterwards and actually talk to people. So, which some of you are just freaked out about. You're like, I'm not coming back to this church if I have to talk to other people, All right? But, um, but as as we've been seeing, even if you look back farther into the study, we know that that Paul spent a lot of time explaining God's relationship to Israel. Judgment and punishment and them falling away and, and the, the historic precedent that they had set as God's people and now the new covenant and the justification and, and imploring Christians not to remember that God made a covenant with them that hasn't Necessarily ended, but it was fulfilled, and it envelops us. And, and And Israel is 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 part of God's plan. It always has been. It continues to be. We see that all the way into Revelation, which challenges me because a lot of times I'm just like, "No, Israel's complete. No need for it. It's over. New covenant, new gospel, all this sort of stuff." And he spent a lot of time unpacking that. But then at at chapter twelve, he he turned the exhortation to the church. And so we're coming sort of to the tail end of those chapters, basically 12 through 15, I'd say, are really directed at the church in Rome, just as the Holy Spirit can use these portions to speak to the church today in 2016. He used Paul, because remember, the Bible was authored by the Holy Spirit. It was simply penned by man. People say it all the time, "Who who do you believe wrote the Bible? Well, God authored the Bible and men penned it. And so God used Paul to write this letter to the church at Rome, but he still uses it today via the Holy Spirit to impress upon us the truths that he wants us to wrestle with. And as I, as I prayed, I'm, I'm very serious that this is very clear. And I hope tonight is just shockingly simple to a certain extent. But that you would actually engage, simple though it may be, that you would actually engage in your head, in your heart, with your hands. With your head, with your heart, and with your hands, that you would actually engage with the exhortation that Paul has. And so, I want to actually begin with what Paul began Romans 12 with. Because remember, at at Romans 12, he turned this corner away from explaining God's relationship to Israel even today, and he turned it toward the church. And only three verses in does he say this. He says, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. I want you to know that. I want you to be enamored with that. I want you to be okay with that. I want you to be excited about that. I want you to be encouraged about that. That your faith has no measure against anyone else. You are not to try to obtain the faith your parents have, though they may be amazing examples. Your goal is no one else's faith. It's how God is leading and sanctifying you in a process of faith to be more like him, not more like your pastor, not more like your parent, not more like your professor, not more like your sibling, not more like your friend, not more like that one girl that goes to like every Christian conference every year. Or that dude that is just at every... I mean, he's just always worship. Like There isn't an earthly example apart from Jesus' work in ministry that we should be striving for in terms of measuring our faith. And the Bible is very clear that to each, he has given a measure of faith. Now, this does not mean that some have faith that is better than others. It just means that on a spectrum starting from conversion or sanctification or, or uh, justification, whatever you want to say is the beginning of this spectrum, all the way to eternity. There's simply a process God wants you to be in. I've said that he doesn't have a goal for you He has a process. God doesn't have a number of sins. He wants you to like reduce your sinning to. He doesn't have a goal, right? He doesn't have like, he doesn't have a like, as soon as I can get Mark to look like this on earth, we're good. He has a process that is unending. And the irony is, is that the deeper you get into sanctification, the closer you get to Jesus, you actually become less enamored with yourself. It's not the other way around. Like the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to perfection, the more you feel the weight of even the smallest things. Paul would write through the course of his ministry that he began his ministry as a sinner, right? Right? He began his ministry as a sinner. This is the guy that arguably, certainly from a New Testament perspective, you could say most used of God, a bulwark for the church, planning churches, writing the majority of the New Testament, used up and down, left or right by God. He began his ministry as a sinner, right? And he ended his ministry, how? As awesome? He said the chief of sinners. Why? Did he sin more? Did he like get better at sin? Like he, did he rack it up? Like, man, I used to sin like 400 times a day. And now I'm at eight. Like I'm now the chief of sinners. What happened in Paul's ministry? What pa- happened in his life? He very likely, and I would argue that he sinned less, certainly from the Pharisee that used to stone Christians. He gets closer and closer to Jesus. He realizes how chiefly of a sinner he is. Why? Because he's closer to Jesus. He's closer to perfection. And even the slightest thing is cosmic treason. Right? Like before you were saved, you just do whatever. You're like, it's not a big deal. I didn't murder anyone. And then you're a Christian. You're in a process of sanctification. And Paul's like on the edge of eternity. And he's just, he just thinks an angry thought. And he's like, I'm the chief of sinners. You're like, all he did was think an angry thought. That's crazy. But he was so close to Jesus that that he declared, look, I'm just the chief of sinners. Because he was closer to perfection. He was more enamored with the glory of God and the righteousness that was accredited him. That he's like, I'm worse than I thought. That's the great paradox of studying Jesus and getting closer to him. You don't feel better about yourself. You feel better about him. Every day I take Jesus more seriously and myself less seriously as I get closer to him. But he says, everyone's been given this measure of faith. Some of you come here tonight, you feel like, man, I am on top of my faith game. Right? You're like, I'm on, I've reduced my Facebook usage. I'm going to a conference. I'm going to do a missions thing. You're like, man, I'm strong. And to be honest, Great. You feel strong in your faith tonight? Great. Some of you come here and you're like, I don't have the faith these other weirdos do. (laughs) Right? Like, I don't have the audacity to be the sort of Christian these guys are doing. It's not to say there isn't a process still ahead for you. But you know what? Great. Guess what? You have faith. There's two buckets. There's Jesus and sinners. Jesus and sinners. And if you're not in the first bucket, you will be found in the second bucket. That's why the Bible says we are in Christ. Hundreds of times it says that. It only uses the title Christian two or three times in the New Testament. We want to be in this bucket, in Christ. And in that bucket, in Jesus, in church, in sanctification, in this process... The Bible says there are different measures of faith. We're not talking about there are those with no faith and there are some people with faith. We're talking about within those who have declared Jesus to be Lord and King, there is a measure of faith. I want you to be comforted by that. I want you to be excited about that. I want you to be encouraged, challenged by that. That God doesn't have a goal. He doesn't, my faith will do absolutely nothing for you. Zach's faith will do nothing for you. Your parents' faith, history, Sunday school attendance, It will do absolutely nothing for you. And tonight we're going to examine strengths and weaknesses within that. And I'm going to ask you to be introspective tonight, which is a little weird. There's going to be moments of silence. And I want you to write stuff down. I want you to get real. I want you to be self-aware of this sort of stuff. Because let's be honest. I've done it. Let's be honest. A lot of you come, you want to hear a good message, get a little hoopla, and then you want to head off, right? Yeah, give me something like that. That wasn't terrible, right? Wore a white shirt. I thought he only wore black, right? Now we're just fine, Right? Some of you want that. You want to come here and you want to consume and you want to move on. We don't allow it. Zach and I don't allow you to come and simply consume, I pray, by the grace of God, that we don't enable consuming. That's that's probably our biggest pet peeve. When you say? Consumerism. Consumerism in the church. So on a very simple message tonight, I want to attack consumerism. Because it says here, as he said, he said, look, God has dealt with each one a measure of faith. And so it doesn't mean that You've got a better faith. It just means that you're in a different stage in your process. You're in a different maturity level, if you will. Right? Look, I'm in a quad with Brett, with Pastor Brett. Are you kidding me? You're like, oh, maybe Mark has it really all together. And then I sit with Brett. I'm like, the stuff he thinks is like awful. I'm like, are you kidding me? I wouldn't think twice about that. Right? Like the one time I called you out on your driving, right? We talked about your driving. Like we pray for each other. Right? And he's like, guys go around. We just like vomit all our bad stuff. And Brett's like, could you guys just pray for the way I drive? And he's like, I get angry. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, but, but I, I honestly, but like, he is way deeper in sanctification than me. Like he knows his heart before Jesus. And when he's driving, it's like even a bigger sin than when I'm just like creating chaos with my sin. And he's like, just in my heart, when someone cuts me, I'm like, you think that's crazy? But he's in a different process. He's in a phase. I fully believe it. He's way ahead of me in the process of sanctification. And by the way, and by the way, by the way, it has nothing to do with age. I don't know if you know this. It has nothing to do with age. Nothing to do with age. Old folks don't believe it. Young folks don't believe it. Like, well, I'll get better with age. I know people that are way more mature in a young age than people that are well older. Like, you could get saved at eighty-two. Be the same sort of immature Christian that a 12-year-old would be coming off a church camp. Okay? It doesn't have anything to do with age. I'm not talking about youth and maturity. I'm not talking about youth and age. I'm talking about where you are in your faith. God has given you a measure of faith. Have I beat that horse long enough? We got it? And so we're not talking about a measure of faith. We're not talking about unsaved or lesser faiths. We're talking about stages of the same faith. These are all the people in the bucket. Those of you that I pray that are in the bucket in Christ— God has given this measure of faith, and so Paul goes into into 15, and he says, we then who are strong, and some of you self-identify with that for a good reason, but also for a bad reason. For a good reason, because you're coming out the gate, You've, you've probably got some areas in your faith that you think you're strong, you identify with that. Look, I identify with that to a fault. Like, I'm the strong guy in my faith. What I'm not going to do, and I don't believe Paul is doing, is saying, look, there's the strong people and super weak people. What he's saying is those who are strong in certain areas and those who are weak in other areas. Because faith is very multi-leveled. It's tons of dimensions of faith. Where I'm strong in faith, you may not be. Where you are strong in faith, I may not be. So don't think again that it's like, oh, there's, now it's a totem pole. No, it's a process. All the way heading to Jesus. It's not a totem pole. Like, wow, you're strong and I suck. Right? And so I want you to underline strong if you have a pen. He says, we then who are strong, and that's great if you identify with that, I do too. But I want us to be humble about this. I want us to be sober about this. I'll show you why. And it says, ought to bear with the scruples, underline scruples. Raise your hand if you know what scruples is. Me neither. I didn't. I had to look it up. Right? Some translations say weakness. That's exactly what it means. It means doubt or hesitation or weakness. Failings, right? Scruples. So strong and scruples, strength and scruples. I want you to underline that too, if I haven't said that already. So again, strong and scruples. So it says, we who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Here's what I want to do. It's going to be awkward and it doesn't matter. You have to sit through it anyways. I'll give you some examples. I'll ramble through this and I hope you get it. There are areas in my faith that I feel I am strong and there are areas in my faith where I definitely have scruples. I have doubts, I have hesitations, I have failures, I have weaknesses. I want us here in a few minutes, I want us to simply identify that stuff, right? Because a lot of times I could just preach on it like, yeah, cool, but I want you to see yourself write it down. There's something very powerful about the written word. When you put ink to paper and you watch yourself spell it out, I, I think at least, you may disagree, I think it becomes a little more real. And so when I see something like, where am I strong and where are my scruples? Look, I'll give you a couple examples. And there's lots of different ways you can take this. I'm just going to give you a few examples, but I want you to look introspectively and understand for yourself. And I need you to be self-aware of this in your own faith. Look, in terms of my strength, I I am very strong and very confident and very excited about the sovereignty of God over the gospel. What I mean by that is that God is orchestrating one grand story That in a certain way I can be a part of, but I cannot affect. Nothing I do will accelerate or hinder the fact that God has already written the story from start to finish and knows how it's going to go. I don't know if you know this, but no matter what I do, Jesus is coming back on a horse. In a blood dipped robe. With a tattoo. Some of you don't believe me because you haven't read Revelations. And your parents are a little aggravated with me right now. It says an inscription on his thigh. He has a thigh tattoo. That is gangster, by the way. Okay. He comes with a sword in his mouth. He comes with fire in his eyes. He comes with diadems, crowns on his head. That is going to happen regardless of what I do or don't do. I am very comfortable in the sovereignty of God. But where I'm scruples, where I have my weaknesses, is a lot of times I get so caught up in the gospel from the air that I, I struggle with my personal intimacy with Jesus. I I, I maybe imposing this on Pastor Zach. I think he's got that on lock. Like you see him kicking around like rocks. He like, he like goes on walks with Jesus. I'm like, that's epic. Like he, I, I think, and he challenges me as a teacher to think very, very hard about my intimate relationship with Jesus. Cause I like to talk about big Jesus, Right. I like to talk about hellfire, wrath, cross, justification, right? I'm very comfortable in the sovereignty that God's going to get done what God wants to get done. But a lot of times it's, it's it comes, it, it, my weakness is on, on fire when Jesus says, Hey, but how are you and I doing? I don't know. What'd you think of the sermon? Jesus, I, don't, I just, I was yelling about the blood dipped thing again, right? Like how about this? Even the same concept. I am very comfortable and confident in how God forgives. Very comfortable and confident that I have been forgiven, that you have been forgiven, that all those who are under Jesus have been forgiven. I've studied the doctrine of it. I understand how it works to a certain extent. I love it. I'm enamored with it. I'm excited about it. But then I struggle forgiving others. Big time. So even the same concept, I understand it theologically, and I don't understand it interpersonally that well, even though I've taught on it interpersonally. I've got a strength in God's ability to forgive, and I have a weakness in my own. Ability to forgive. Or how about grace? I'm very strong and confident in grace. Very strong. That God gives us what we don't deserve. Things like righteousness and justification and adoption and empower and all this sort of stuff. I'm very, very strong in that. But I'm weak in giving it out. I'm a business guy by trade. I'm an entrepreneur. I I, I like the market, and the market's brutal. Market doesn't care doesn't care that you graduated from high school with $200,000 a day or college from $200,000 a day. It doesn't care that you were a valedictorian. just cares if you can produce something that other people want to buy. It doesn't care. It's just ruthless. It's beautifully ruthless, in my opinion, as a business guy, right? But I don't want to, I want a meritocracy. I want everyone awarded based off their ability, right? As a business guy, if your product sucks, I'm not going to buy it. No one should. It's terrible. I'll write a blog about how bad it is. I don't want to give people stuff they don't deserve. I want people to be hooking and jabbing based on what they produce that they deserve. So I struggle even in my professional career, though I'm so stoked on theological grace, I'm not that good with practical grace. And so what I want us to do is is just a couple examples, whether it's forgiveness, whether it's righteousness, whether it's love, whether it's care, whether it's patience, whether it's comfort, whether it's just simply your relationship with God, whether it's your relationship with other Christians. I want us to spend maybe two minutes Two minutes. And in your Bible, write it down. In your phone, write it down. Two words, strength and scruple. And then I want you to just list. Where would you say you're strong? Look, and if, you're, if you've got two or three right off the bat, great. But I would dare you to find two or three that you're weak on too. Don't be like, man, I got this whole list for strength. And I got like one thing I'm working on. Don't try that. <laughs> I may not see it, but Jesus does, right? So I'm going to shut up here in about Two seconds. I want you to write down those two things. Maybe like 30 more seconds. Doing anyone begging for more time? A little more time, anyone got it? So, my goal with this is is twofold I want us to be encouraged about what we're strong in, right? But I want us to be vulnerable with that which we're weak in, I want us to be vulnerable. Not everyone gets to come up here like Zach and I do and just just throw up our weaknesses and throw up our strengths, right? I I want you to see it on paper. I want you to be excited about the things that God has given you strength in. Excited about that stuff. We tend to focus on that. It's human nature. We focus on that. Look, play to my strengths, right? No one teaches you like, hey, play to your weaknesses. Go gangbusters on that stuff. All right, Play play to your strength. You do you. Right? So I want us to be excited about that. And Zach and I, as we were praying before, like a lot of times the sermon is like one thing or the other. Thanks, man. I stung, my tongue is, see, my <laughs> tongue's like sticking to the top of my mouth. Dane Shewitt, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, yeah, buddy. <laughs> see, I'm like, this is the most informal service I've ever been to. <laughs> the pulpit's on the ground. <laughs> what can I say? <clears throat> I want us to be excited about the things that we're strong in, okay? Because Paul's going to have an exhortation for that. But I want us to be vulnerable about our weaknesses, too. Look, it's, it was tough for me to be like, all right, I need to give some examples of weaknesses. Man, I thought I was actually pretty awesome. But when you start to go through that process, when you write it down, when you start to think about it, and I hope you continue this week, you start to realize they're pretty glaring. The things that I'm strong in, I start to realize the things I'm weak in far outweigh the things I'm strong in. I'm just very loud about my strengths, but this stuff is just all week long. We show up to Sunday. We're like, all right, let's play the strength game. And then the rest of the week, it's like six days of weakness, right? But I want us to be excited about that. And I want us to be vulnerable because as Zach and I were talking before, it's like a lot of times sermons are one or the other, right? It's like grace and depravity. They're like, you have everything, the church has everything. Jesus gave you everything. What are you moping about? It's awesome. You have everything. Stop. Like, you, you have everything available to you that's in heaven, right? And you're just like, oh. And then the other sermon's like, you have nothing. You are nothing. You bring nothing to the table. Jesus was fine without you, right? God didn't create you for fellowship, right? Right? And, you just, and you're just sort of like, I thought I had everything. Now I'm nothing. Like... I don't know. They can just, like we're bipolar pastors, right? But I love this. He says, look, let's be honest. You've got strengths and weaknesses in your faith, all given a different measure. But that's not where it ends. He says, we who then are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. It's not about puffing up your strengths. Here's how Paul wants, here's how the Holy Spirit, here's how Jesus wants you to channel your strengths. He wants you to channel your strengths. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good. Leading to edification. The challenge here is to put others before yourself. Fully conscious of your strength. Fully conscious of your weakness. Paul's gone over weakness in his letter to the Philippians. A church he loved dearly in chapter 2, 3, and 4. He said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Right there, I'm slayed. Because, man, when I wake up in the morning, it's about Mark getting what Mark wants. From business, from relationships, from church, from my motorcycle, from my side business, from my fit. It's about Mark getting what Mark wants. And he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, which doesn't mean you think low of yourself. It just means that you think higher of others. Some of you have taken this to be the, the Bible's example that we're just to simply think poorly of ourselves. The Bible says you're more than conquerors in Christ. Put your chin up, but think highly of others. Like, What, what sort of example would I have in that? Maybe a guy named Jesus. Creator of the universe that knelt down and washed feet washed feet he created those feet and he washed them he thought highly of others and he's god i'm not the example zach's not the example pastor brett pastor rob no one is the example higher than jesus on this that he lifted others up not that he thought himself nothing he was god but that he built people up around him jesus always builds up he doesn't tear down And so he says, let let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And it says leading to edification. Here's what he's saying is, look, you take your strength and you pour that into the folks with weakness. Now that again, I'm not putting two categories, the strong and the weak. I'm talking about where you're strong and where others are weak and vice versa. Cause I want you to be humble about where you're weak. Cause here's what it does. It opens up for you to receive from someone else. Imagine you're like, I'm really good at this. I'm, I'm really strong in this. I want to give it to someone. And they're like, no, I don't need it. But you have to then on the inverse, be the same. You have to be open and vulnerable about your own weaknesses in your faith, about justification, about being clean years and years ago. I sat over here. I sat over here with a guy who had impregnated his girlfriend before marriage. And, and, and ultimately after conversation for week after week, I realized just one core thing. Dude thought he was dirty before God. Dude thought he was dirty. I'm trying to go through all the scripture and, and all this sort of stuff. And eventually it came down to right there on the step. I said, look, you, you know, you're clean, right? You, you know, you're, you're clean in Jesus, Right? It wasn't any mass theological debate. It was just that he felt dirty. Right? His view of justification hadn't truly sunken into his heart yet. He didn't know that he'd been that he'd been taken taken care of already. He thought he was shouldering that. He didn't realize Jesus is there. Like, I'm not looking at that. I'm looking at you. I don't know why you're holding on to it. I just said you're clean. He had to be open and vulnerable about those issues that he's weak in his faith on justification. He knew a lot of Bible, but he still felt dirty. So you've got to be willing and vulnerable to open to receive because there's other people with strengths that can pour into you. And I would challenge you, if you've got those strengths, are you pouring into others? And I love what this assumes. This actually assumes Christian fellowship. That's crazy. That's crazy. Because we've all succumbed to the Christian, the American Christian model, that I've been saved individually, therefore I am an individual Christian. You were saved individually, but you were not saved to individuality. You have now become part of a body. My finger doesn't get to say, well, I'm going to go off and do my own thing. (laughs) Right? Right? It has a different function. It has strengths and weaknesses. It can do more than my pinky, right? My pinky toe can't do nearly as much as my big toe, but I need it. It performs its own function, given a different measure of strength, a different measure of weakness. I love my pinky toe. I ain't got anything, I ain't got anything against it. But it assumes Christian fellowship. Some of it, for a lot of us, it's a foreign concept, that we would be poured into and that we would pour. in. you're like, I don't know how to do that. Why? Because you're not in Christian fellowship. Now I say this to a group that's here on an, on an assembled church. And you're like, but we're doing this thing right now, right? This is great. This is ordained. This is, this is asked of by the church, but this is not all that the church is. This is not all that the church is. Are you in intimate fellowship with Christians? Whether that's at your school whether that's at your work, whether that's in a quad here, if you've got questions about that, sign up for a quad. The pastors are in quads at this church. The youth leaders are in quads at this church. Getting together with a few other guys and gals, pouring into each other strengths and weaknesses. Brett and I have seen amazing growth in ourselves and in the guys that are in our quad. And you can see some of them have super strong aspects of their faith. Right, And they got their weaknesses too. And by the grace of God, he'll start to work that out. And we all, the rising tide lifts all boats. I'm pouring into Scott and Scott's pouring into me, life experience, And Brett's pouring into Tom and Tom's pouring back into Justin. And Justin's pouring out and we're doing this. This assumes Christian fellowship. This is, one, this is one form of feeding for the Christian, but this is not the extent of it. Me getting up here and railing at you is not the extent of Christian fellowship. And so are you in that? And here's my challenge for you. Whether you are in a systematic study, whether you're in some sort of small group, Bible study, quad, whatever it is, awesome, great, cool, I would dare you. I would dare you. And there's a guy I listen to for business. He's like my entrepreneurial kick in the pants. There's a guy by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk. Don't listen to his stuff, okay, right? He's, he's irreverent. He cusses. Uh, he's not a Christian, but on the business side, he's absolutely brilliant. He's a futurist. He understands things. He sees things in the marketing sphere that are years ahead, light years ahead. He's been proven right time and time again. I listen to this guy, okay? I listen to this guy, and he's, he's absolutely amazing. And He goes to these conferences, and I, I saw him speak live one time, and he goes, look, I just want three of you to do something today. Three. He's like, there's, there's one of you that's going to actually do something. And he calls people out. I love it. And this isn't a secular world. I'm not trying to mimic that necessarily. But he knows it's just it's like a few people are actually going to do something about it. They're actually going to take it. So my challenge is to you how many of you will actually take me up on this? 10 minutes. 10 minutes this week that you would get together, phone, text. I prefer in person in person with another Christian friend, whether they're here tonight or not. Open this up, talk about strength and scruples and just simply see how you can pour into each other. I dare you. I dare you. Church in America, super easy. Super easy church in America, right? Like we don't beg for this stuff. You get guys like David Platt to go over to China, sits down, like I'm gonna do a Bible study with this underground church, goes in, starts teaching. They're like, can you teach all day? It's like, well, yeah. They're like, can you just start teaching the Bible? And he'll just be there for two days straight to teach the whole thing. They crave it. They crave Christian fellowship. And America, we're like, eh, I got Sunday nights. I'm good. Got my worship tunes on the way to work. I'm fine. <laughs> and there's people in other countries that just literally would, 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 would give up so much to be able to meet with another Christian in public and pour into each other's lives. I dare you. I dare you. I challenge you to spend 10 minutes this week talking with another Christian about your strengths in your faith faith, and your weaknesses. And it may not line up. They're like, oh my gosh, my strength is his weakness. Right? But just talk about it. I dare you. It's very simple. I told you at the beginning of the message. It's very simple. And I I would challenge you to do that this week. Does that sound crazy? If it sounds crazy, come up and talk to me afterwards. Right? We'll do it tonight. Ten minutes after, I'll do it with you. You're like, I got no, I can't do it. It's impossible, right? Because you work on Mars. Right? And you... The shuttle leaves tomorrow and you're gone. And the other astronaut's Russian and not a Christian, right? And so you think you're out of it, you stop. We'll do it tonight, okay? But I would challenge you spend 10 minutes mirroring, reflecting this truth, which is that our strengths should be poured into those who are weak and vice versa, that where we're weak, we should receive that. Sound good? Cool, two people. (coughs) Terrific. All right. (laughs) (laughs) let each of us please his neighbor for his good leading to edification edification the building of the church i love this your 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 goal in the pouring into the other people is the edification of the church the building up of the church why because jesus came and edified and built up the church it's one of the ways that we reflect what he did jesus builds his church Jesus is the architect. He always has been. He always will be. Jesus, via the Holy Spirit, is building his church. And he simply asks us to do the same. Build up those around you. Know your strengths. Understand your weaknesses. Pour into others. Build them up where they are weak. Allow them to pour into you where you are weak. Because a rising tide in that manner reflects, the rising tide lifts all boats and it reflects Jesus in the process. Look, regardless of what culture is doing, it doesn't mean we don't affect culture. The kingdom is always, has, always has been, is continually and will always be on the rise. Jesus's kingdom is constantly, it always has, it still is and it will forever be on the rise regardless of the decline of the culture. Jesus' kingdom continues to rise. Some of you look at social constructs, you look at social parameters as an indication of what God's kingdom is doing. Stop. The church rises regardless of the culture. Why? Because the culture doesn't control the church. Jesus orchestrates it. And he says, simply reflect what I'm doing and what I've done in your life in the lives of others so that other people will be forced to reconcile that this is a real God. This is a real God and that they would see his nature on display in front of them. And so this is all for edification. It says for even Christ. I love that. You, and I've told you this in, in sermons past, the Bible will never say do something and not give you the reason. Never, never the imperative, the indicative, it will always pair the two, the why and the what sometimes the what, and then the why sometimes the why, and then the what, but it will always give you the reason and it will always lead back to Jesus. Jesus. Find one where it doesn't. Bring it to me. Because notice it doesn't say, do as your pastor does. What's the example? For even Christ did not please himself. You're like, well, then why do I have to, this is contrary to the, yeah. But Jesus did it. And if you call yourself a Christian, a little Christ, it should be your primary purpose in life is to reflect to others what he's done for you. And so pour into people as Jesus poured into you. As Jesus gives you strength and weakness, give others your strength in their weakness. Why? For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort. Anyone struggle with that? Is that a weakness for anyone? Patience for me big time I'm a go guy I'm a go guy. you don't want to run into me on a Monday morning at the office. I will plow you over okay patience i'm i, I I'm learning that comfort It says God is a God of patience and comfort. may he grant you to be like minded toward one another again. the what but then the why, according to Christ Jesus that you may with One mind, with one mind, there is one body of Christ. I know we have denominations, and and some of you struggle with that. How with this, how with that? There are primary essentials that dictate whether or not you are a Christian or not, and there are differences within the denominations. We may disagree on some of the secondary issues, but there are primary issues. And on these things, the entirety of the church, the world over, any creed, any Race, any color, any country, any denomination under the banner of the Christian primary essentials, we are to be of one mind. Of one mind, with one purpose, and it says, with one mind and with one mouth. As we pour in our strengths into others' weaknesses, as we receive their strengths into our weaknesses, as we build up the church as one mind. With one thing on our mind, with one voice, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us. I have this from Charles Spurgeon. Christ did not receive us because we were perfect because he could see no fault in us or because he hoped to gain somewhat at our hands. And Spurgeon writes, ah, no, I love that. Old dead white guys did that a lot. Ah, no. But in loving condensation, covering our faults, seeking our good, he welcomed us to his heart. So in the same way, with the same purpose, Let us receive one another. Here's how it goes. Look, different measures of faith, different strengths, different weaknesses, all received in the Christian church. Right? Some of us discriminate. Look, when they're they're weak in this area, and you may not say it in this language, but like, ah, I can't really hang with, ah, they've got these issues and this and that. All received. Different measures of faith. All received. Why? Because Jesus did the exact same thing. You were in a different place than I was when you were saved. I was in a different place than my dad was when he was saved. Every single person here was in a different place, in a different time, in a different space, in a different situation, with different strengths and different weaknesses. And Jesus said, under my banner, all are received. All are received. Some of us are far too discriminatory in the church. And we see this time and time again. And to be honest, that's a criticism of the denominational breakdown. We divide the church over really stupid things. Now, the Bible allows for some disagreements. It does on the secondary issues. But we tear apart other Christians. We hold up other pastors that don't believe the same thing we do. And we beat them to a pulp in front of our congregation. They don't do this. They're not willing to stand for this. They said this and we beat them. We beat up our Christian friends. I don't even know if you're Christian. You said this, you said that. I'll give you the list if you're curious about the primary essentials. And if they don't violate one of those and they consider themselves to be a Christian, they've confessed, they believe in their heart, confess with their tongue, Jesus Christ is Lord, and they don't violate one of those five. They are a Christian. You got to get over it. And receive them. Why? Because Jesus did the same thing. Jesus puts up with a lot of crap. I don't know if you know that. Jesus puts up with a lot of crap that we bring. I don't know where Christians in America thought we don't have to put up with any crap anymore. We're going to find our tight, rigid requirements for our conferences, for our churches, for our clubs, for our Sunday nights, for our Wednesdays. We're going to have a litmus test. It's crazy. It's crazy. He says, look, different measures of faith, different strengths, different weaknesses. Get excited about your strengths. Be humbled by your weaknesses. Pour into others. Receive the pouring from others, which assumes that you're in Christian community. Why? To build up the church. Why? Because Jesus built up the church. And then it says this, Therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. You're sitting in a church that would fly under a general banner of Protestantism. Everyone know that? Protestant theology. In the Reformation, way back in the day, there was a big divide between the Catholic church... And a couple squirrely folks by the name of like Luther and Calvin and Wesley and a couple of other weird, crazy guys. And what they said is that the church at the time had drifted from some core biblical principles. And during the Reformation, I'll spare you the history lesson, but I'll tell you this. That came out of the Reformation as five pillars of Protestant theology. These are not the five essentials. okay? They're pretty darn close. They're pretty epic. Five primary essentials, and they're Latin phrases which declare five things that in contradistinction to the church. So keep in mind, Luther never wanted to leave the church. He wanted reform from within it, but he was basically pushed. Five things, okay? Sola Scriptura, Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Solus Christus, Soli Deo Gloria. Sola Scriptura, by word alone. The Bible is not our only authority, but it is the highest authority, Sola fide, it's by faith alone that we are saved. Sola gratia, it's by grace alone that we are saved. Solus Christus, okay? It's Jesus alone that saves us. And the fifth one is soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. This is the thrust, and I've done a sermon on it before. If you take a look in the Bible, it's hard to, it's, it's hard to grapple with sometimes, but soli deo gloria answers virtually every why in the Bible. Why does God love me? Why? Because it most reflects his glory. That he would choose to love you is not because we're awesome. It's because it reflects the greatness of his glory. Why did God lead his people into the desert? Ultimately for his glory. Why did he bring them out of the desert? Ultimately for his glory. Why did he allow? Why did Jesus have to die? Because ultimately that is what would bring him the highest glory. Why did God let Adam sin, Adam and Eve even sin? Why not just make them so that they wouldn't sin? Because ultimately this story, if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned, there would would be no need for Jesus on the cross. And God knew in his foreknowledge that what would bring him the biggest, greatest, most epic glory is that he himself would be sacrificed on the cross. It's tough to grapple with, but the answer to virtually every why that we don't have a declared answer to is because God is first and foremost, passionately, ferociously in pursuit of his own glory. And he says, all of this, that I've given you strengths and weaknesses that I've given you a measure of faith. Imagine if he just made someone just all strong that would not reflect his glory. Why? Because they wouldn't need anything from anyone else. They wouldn't reflect that we rely on others in the Christian community. So some have strengths, some have weaknesses. We all have strengths. We all have weaknesses. We're called to pour into. We're called to be poured into. We're called to edify, to build up, to reflect Jesus. Why all of this, all of this is not for you or me. Zach and I do not build this church. Pastor Rob and pastor Brett do not build this church. Some of you put that on us. Well, they're the ones in charge of building the church. You're wrong. You're like, oh, we're in charge of building the church. No, Jesus is in charge of building the church. But what he offers you is, is the ability to be a part of what he's doing. It's daddy takes son to work day. I don't, I don't need, it's mom and daughter at work day. I don't need my kid to perform my job, but I would love for him to be a part of it in some way. To get a heart for what I have a heart for. God doesn't need me to build his church. To be honest, he doesn't need us to build his church. He doesn't need anything from us, but he wants us. Huge difference. Why? Because ultimately Christians pouring into other Christians, Christians receiving from other Christians, building up the church around us as the society crumbles, that leads ultimately to what? America's glory, God speaks glory, Mark's glory, Zach's glory, Obama's glory, whatever the next weird president's glory is going to be. Why ultimately and always in pursuit of his glory. That's why. Amen. All right, let's pray. God, I just pray that, that the simplicity that I would have not have have overcomplicated the simplicity of this passage that you've given us all a measure of faith, which is to your glory. That we would not be drones and robots with the exact same experiences and relationships and strengths. But that we are a broken people who are unified by you. And as you pour into us, we pour into others. And we, allowed to be pour, and we allow ourselves to be poured into. Not so that we get bigger and better in front of the eyes of the world. Not that our friends would get bigger and better. Not that our church would look bigger and better to the eyes of the world. but that your glory would be pursued by your people is the ultimate cause that I pray we understand tonight. Jesus, that your glory would be better than our experience and that we would take part in a story that's been written from start to finish, but we have been invited to participate in that we would not be restricted by this big knowledge of God who has already orchestrated everything, therefore we do nothing, but that we would see the intent was to orchestrate all things so that those who would come to him could be a part of winning the battle. So Jesus, I pray that we would be introspective, but that it would not stop there, that we would not end on us, that we would not end on our strengths, that we would not even end on our weaknesses, that we would end on your glory. And then that that's the ultimate why we're called to be Christians in community. Jesus, we love you. I Pray that tonight would sink deep into the hearts of your people, myself included, that we'd be excited and encouraged and on mission, not for our own sake, but for your glory. We can't wait to see you again, Jesus. So we're gonna sing to you now. In your name we pray, amen.